Give me my word, not give me your word. I give you my word on that night and that day, brother. We are side by side and we will go to war. It's because I'm Arn Anderson. You wouldn't have had me all these years as your confidant, partner, best friend. And certainly you wouldn't have had me a horseman. It's going to be the fight of a decade. My name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to August of 1995 for Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1 is WWF, looking at SummerSlam. Volume 3 is a a hybrid show, really. We're starting in in Japan, uh, reviewing the IWA King of the Deathmatch tournament final between Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. Uh, Genuinely lots of explosives in that that show. Uh, Second half of that show, or more like the the second three quarters, uh, is Dell... Uh, Tom and Kieran looking at ECW. Uh, and in part four, which uh, for people who you know keep up to the date with these things, actually went online about three weeks ago, uh, we are in Korea looking at um, the WCW slash New Japan Pro Wrestling Collision in Korea show. But we are here on part two for WCW. I'm being joined by Del Muir. Del, hello. Hi, Bob. And Wayne Lithgow. Hello there, Bob. Uh, my voice is a little bit croaky. Um, you, when you get to the ECW part, you'll have heard what, my voice sounded like four or five days ago. Um, so I'm hoping to get through this show, but Dally's on standby to uh, to jump in if need be, but I think we'll be all right. Uh, Dell, kick us off with the news. Yeah, WCW, Bob, they've all but confirmed the acquisition of four of the, the hottest independent talents in the country. They did their debut on their, their new TV show next month and Monday Nitro. Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko and Dwight Sabu are all expected to sign deals with Sabu's run seemingly just for a few dates. The other three are expected to sign 90-day contracts that start in October. The news was well received, understandably, in ECW with Paul Heyman declaring war on WCW and leading fans to chant things like, Bischoff takes it in the ass." The signings followed a, a very revealing edition of the WCW hotline hosted by Terry Taylor earlier in the month, um, where he reportedly threw Benoit, Guerrero, Malenko and the WWF bound Al Snow under a buzz. Taylor knocked them all for having de- demands above the station, particularly on Guerrero, claiming that he'd never drawn um, any money, uh, which, if we're being kind to Taylor, is incredibly ignorant. And WCW themselves hosted Clash of the Champions 31 this month at Daytona Beach in Florida. A largely uneventful show, but one that did feature Hulk Hogan in a not-to-be-missed live appearance on the Dungeon of Doom. Hogan's in-ring involvement actually aired in the, the live edition of the main event that broadcast immediately prior to the show, defeating Kamala. And in the main event of the clash, Vader defeated Ric Flair and Anderson, which started to break up the Flair and Anderson partnership in a handicap match. And Sister Sherry earned the Harlem Heat a tag title shot at Fall Brawl. That's after she pinned Colonel Robert Parker whilst kissing him. Sherry knocked herself out in storyline at least, and after coming to, is now madly in love with the Colonel. 
Sting's reportedly made a push for longtime friend Lex Luger to be signed by WCW. Luger's contract with WWF expires in October. Elsewhere, WCW will reportedly be getting $38,000 from TNT for the WCW Monday Nitro show starting next month, which is significantly less than the $100,000 figure they were expecting. Based on those numbers and WCW's initial commitment to taping episodes live most weeks from new arenas, the show will most certainly be a money loser. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining me at this time, a couple of men who are going to be in action tomorrow night at the Clash of the Champions live here on TBS at 7 o'clock following the live main event. Double A, Arn Anderson, along with the 11-time WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson. A very impressive showing here on Saturday night as a warm-up for tomorrow night. I'm going to use an analogy to National Geographic. You know how a pack of wild dogs takes down the lion, the king of the jungle, Gene? They run him, and they run him, and they nip at his heels until he just gives out a gas, and then they rip his throat out. Well, Vader, Daytona Beach is our jungle, and we're going to run you. Let me just tip our hand. We're going to run you and run you until your mouth is hanging open and your tongue's hanging out, and then we're going to pounce on you like you owe us money, pal. Tell him, mate, is Vader tough? Is Vader tough? Well, where is he now? Come on, Vader. Come on, hit me. And we're actually well, we're, we're, we're quite quite recording live. Uh, if you're expecting the TV review, I'm going to do it now. Essentially, it was you know so short before the clash. There was no no massive justification of recording it as a pre-tape. So we start with WCW Saturday night on August the fifth. Uh, Jimmy Hart talks after a Renegade squash match and says the Dungeon of Doom are making a mistake challenging Hogan on the main event. The Blue Bloods defeated John Bad and Marcus Alexander Bagwell after Robert L. Robert interfered with the referee's back turned. And then we move on to the main event, which aired immediately prior to the clash um, on August 6th. Uh, we open the show with Randy Savage. Savage joins Bischoff and Dusty Rhodes on the stage and says that he hasn't seen Hogan like this before. John B. Bad busts out a flip die to the outside during his victory over Big Boa. The Nasty Boys defeated Los Especialistas. And Fire Brian defeated Marcus Alexander Bagwell. 
In the main event, of main event, Hulk Hogan defeats Kamala of the Dungeon of Doom by disqualification. Hogan no-sold the body slam during the match, but the match was stopped after the inevitable running of the Zodiac and the Shark. While Sting and Savage ran out to make the save, it's worth noting that Hogan seemed perfectly capable of handing all four members of the Dungeon of Doom attacking him on his own. Um... Del, we'll quickly look at this bit before we move into the main show. Um, the match itself w- w- was nothing to write home about, and I don't yeah. know if you, you two have seen it beyond the the very quick last thirty seconds that would have aired on the Clash. Um, but we're, we're back to where we are with Hogan, where we've been, you know, so many times before, or certainly, you know, in the WCW run, where, you know, he seems to be unable to let his ego aside just for a little bit. Just to show a bit of vulnerability, and then we get to the, we get to the point where it's like, well, why, why do you need four on four at full brawl? You're perfectly capable of handling these guys on your own. I know Meng's going to be involved in that. We'll come to that in a bit. Um, but yeah, just just Hogan being Hogan, no setting a body slam from Kamala, and then all four guys come out, and and they cut to like this panic, you know, panic Savage and Sting kind of storming down the aisleway to save Hogan. We cut back to a wide shot, and Hogan's just kicking ass. <laughs> Pretty much, um, it's it's kind of weird with Hulk. I mean, that's a year now that he's been here, and it's like there's never really been any kind of level of vulnerability built up as you say, I mean the, the point of having a, a supreme baby face atop the mountain is there's going to be some times where he gets knocked off and then he's, it's the, the kind of joy of the climb back up that kind of gets you that emotional investment, I mean I know Hogan's not exactly brand new to a, a big wrestling audience in the country but to WCW there are going to be some people that's just heard this name, the same as when Flair came in in 92 at the WWF it was just a name and then you're seeing him evolve in front of your eyes. But with Hogan, it's just like, it's, it's as if he's Superman, but they've got a door policy where you're not allowed to bring any kryptonite in. And it's like, well, how can you get invested in that when there's, oh, he's, he'll be fine. He'll win. Hogan wins. Always wins. And it's like, try, try and give the fans something to get behind. But as you say, it's just Hogan being Hogan, isn't it? Wayne, I'll take you back to what I think was the first show you, you ever did with us, um, The Clash, in, in, in January. Um, and we had the bit there with, with Vader coming out and laying out Hogan and that, that great, what would have been a really effective finish of the show. And then we get the bit where Hogan pops up, you know, scares Vader off and essentially just nullifies the entire effect of the angle. And Wayne, he's doing it again. Yeah, not, nothing changes with him. It's uh, I think that show I did was was back in February. Oh, sorry, you said didn't you? It was it was January, and and all this time nothing nothing's changed through the months. And uh, like like you know, I show the same sentiment as Delft. You know, you you've got to get invested in your top baby first, and the only way you can do that is um, is by checking the ego at the door, um, and you know, not not jobbing, but obviously putting yourself over to guys, um, getting beat down, and 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 that's the only way you can build yourself up. So, you know, you've got all your fans um, that can get invested in you and, and, and give you that big push and, and and go over even more. And we move on to the Clash of the Champions, thirty-one. Dell, have the results, please. Yep, we start with Sting and Road Warrior Hawk. They defeated Meng and Kurosawa of Colonel Parker's stud stable. Got Diamond Dallas Page beating Alex Wright. The Renegade, the champion, world television champion, defeated Paul Orndorff and retains. 
Harlem Heat and Sister Sherry, they defeated Bunkhouse Buck, Dirty Dick Slater and Colonel Robert Parker himself in a five-man and a lady tag team match. And in the main event, Big Van Vader defeated the team of Arn Anderson and Ric Flair in a handicap match. And that funny season is off, Bob. Hi, what do you think of this show? Well, I'll, I'll give it its due. Um, it was better than last month's pay-per-view. Um, I'd hope but, so. Yeah, but not much better. Um, it's it, there's still <laughs> something missing with WCW. It needs a, a real shot in the arm, something a, a different direction. It's, it just seems to be going through the motions with a, with a lot of things at the moment, um, and I'm, I'm just starting to, you know, just just think about different things regarding it in, in you know I'm, I'm starting to lose patience with it it's, it just seems same old same old um especially on the Hogan front um but the um but the show as a whole for what it was it was it was a clash it wasn't a pay-per-view um it's um it was it, as I said it was it was better than last month and I'd probably give you know it was probably on an average average keel no um, I, I, I agree with Wayne that it was better than last month's pay-per-view, Bob, but I'm more tempted just to say it was better because it was on free TV instead of it being that you had to pay for the the pay-per-view itself. I mean, it was a kind of weird, a weird set-up. I mean, the show itself didn't drag, I would say. The two hours went by kind of quick, but it was the, the card itself, I think they just had done a lot more. As you'd run through the, the main event results prior to this and you'd like say Pillman and kind of Hogan on that, but then you're getting matches here with, with Diamond Dallas Page and the Renegade, and it's just, I don't know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't their best offer, but as we've seen in recent times with WCW, it certainly could have been a lot worse, I'd say. No, um, there, there is certainly something to be said for, you know, uh, there, there are a couple of matches that would have easily been better than stuff that aired on The Clash that actually aired on Main Event. Um, Johnny Bad against Big Bell wasn't bad, neither was the pill match. Um, but yeah, this, this was an odd show. I mean, it, it was weird. At times it just felt like they were stalling. I mean, I, wa- I watched clashes before, and I can't recall so many clashes where there were just such big gulfs of time between matches. Maybe I'm wrong, and I know, you know, given the TV format, they, they will invariably do that more than they do on pay-per-view. Um, but there was a time, yeah, you know, there were a couple of times between um, probably in the second half of the show, or certainly to, there was a point where they were getting up to um, the top of the second hour, and it's like, yep, they put this video package in, I think it was ahead of the six-person tag, and it was like, yep, they put this three- or four-minute video package together just to get the match started at the top of the second hour. Um, the matches themselves weren't, weren't offensive. Um, they weren't any better than that. Um, you know, I, I think it's testimony to... And we'll come to it, but it's testimony to Parker and Sherry that the crowd were pretty dead for that tag match until those two got involved. Um, the main event wasn't bad, right against DDP wasn't bad, but other than that, you know, I, I think my conclusion at the end of this show is that, you know, you, you watch a show like Bash at the Beach last month and it's like, should I go back and watch this? He's like, yes, if you're a glutton for punishment, go back and watch this because it was really bad. This wasn't really bad, but it was incredibly missable. And that's, Pretty impressive, but we'll we'll come to each match in turn as we get to it. We start obviously with uh, we're in Daytona Beach, and Michael Buffer is on hand to introduce the first match. It's Meng and Kurosawa with Colonel Robert Parker versus Sting and Road Warrior Hawk. We start with all four men in the ring brawling. Hawk shoulder tackles Kurosawa and throws him to the outside. Meng follows as the trio regroup. 
Hawk headbutts Kurosawa and tags in Sting, who hits a vicious-looking atomic drop. Kurosawa lands awkwardly. Meng hits Hawk with a clothesline, but Hawk stands his ground and the pair square off. Kurosawa takes Hawk to the outside, drapes him over his shoulders and drops Hawk onto his back. That was quite impressive. Back in the ring, Kurosawa whips Hawk into the corner, but eats a big boot for his troubles. Hawk hits a swinging netbreaker on Meng. Hawk body slams Kurosawa, hits a clunky-looking splash and can only get a two. Hawk hits a powerbomb, but Meng breaks it up the pin. Sting goes to the top and takes out Meng, and the faces have the control. With all four men in the ring, Sting and Hawk clotheslines, hit clotheslines on Meng. Sting puts, picks up Kurosawa. Hawk hits a clunk, is all held clothesline in a double-team move, and the faces win the match. After the match, with Hawk selling, Kurosawa jumps in the ring and yanks Hawk's shoulder back uh, in an arm submission briefly, and Hawk rises around in pain. This segment is slightly funnier when you go back and watch it, as Nick Park, uh, Nick Patrick, sorry, uh, calls for the medical attendant for the uh, Hawk injury before. Uh, Kurosawa had even locked in the move, which is <laughs> yeah, quite, a, a, a quite funny bit of um, yeah, mistaken timing. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of this match? Um, I, th- I think it could have been a lot better with with Hawk not being in there. Um, I was I was looking forward to seeing uh, a bit more of Kuros- uh, Kurosawa. Um, the um, as I said, you know, taking Hawks can um, inclusion um, out of it. You know, I think it would have been it would have flowed a lot better. Um, my my gripe with with the match or the the, the the formula was, I think it would have been better for um, Sting to to be the one in the getting beat down because Hawk wasn't selling anything at all. Um, it was seemed to me that he just saved all his selling for right at the end. He just bottled it all up and thought, I'll save all this for when I get my arm broken. Um, and there's a few, you know, quite quite clumsy. Most of it being on 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 Hawk's part, you know, just seemed and and at the end when when everyone was in there, it just seemed like there was no control, you know, a bit. Um, it was, it was all, all a bit clumsy, as I said, and and, and the doomsday device. Um, you know, I, I understand that when when Sting's picked him up, he's he's probably picked him up different to to our animal. Um, so uh, picks him up on the wrong side, but Hawk should have realised. Uh, the way that Sting was holding him, and he just he just seemed to clothesline Hawk, which uh, sorry, clothesline Sting uh, from um, from the opposite way, which obviously you know Kurosawa ended up um, falling over due to it. Um, to talk about Meng and Kurosawa though, um, if when we, we we touched on the Dungeon of Doom last month, and if you're wanting to put a stable together of monsters um, for a Dungeon of Doom, rather than just having a rehash of uh, Three Faces of um, Fear, you bring these two guys in. Get get these guys built up because I, I, you could proper push these as as the stable and and, and make that stable uh, you know be a force for uh, for Hogan. But the well, match br- br- brilliantly done, Wayne. Given that we're about to get the men into uh, the Dodger of Doom in about two weeks' time or two weeks after this show, um, so uh, well well done. We'll keep your analysis right in line with the uh, with the current events. Carry on. No, no. Well, I was just going to say, you know, just. Uh, um, as I said, the, the, the match as a whole, I, th- I think it should have been, um, stinging the, the, the one that was getting the, uh, uh, getting the beat down and, and then getting, uh, getting the hot, the hot tag on Hawk rather than the other way around because, as I said, Hawk just wasn't selling anything and, and that ruined it for me. Del? I seem to moan about this every time I'm on a WCW show, Bob, every time I do a power ranking sting. 
Sting, Sting is opening this show on free TV. He must have been in ring for, what, two, three minutes tops. I mean, he's a former WCW champion, a NWA champion, an international champion. Why is this man getting so overlooked? It's like, I understand. I think him and Undertaker should form their own promotion. Pretty much, and I mean. Popular wrestlers that aren't getting pushed. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, I know there's the full Hogan factor, but I mean, we don't need to be seen staying in a main event carrying a belt for a year. We just want him to get what he deserves. I mean, the crowd go daft for him. And it's just like, I don't know what the boy has to do to, to get pushed, as I say, whether it's going to start his own fed with the Undertaker and they maybe book themselves into a main event, I don't know. Um, Kurosawa I thought was pretty good, he's got a bit of potential, there's a, a lovely standing overhead suplex to Hawk outside, um, Hawk's just Hawk really. Couldn't sell ice cubes to an Arab, I don't think. Um, Meng, great presence as always, but just a, a pretty uninspiring start. I mean, why, Bob, you'll maybe be able to answer me this. Why was Michael Buffer to start this show when it's like a free TV show? He's just announcing a random tag match to start. I mean, it's, I don't know, it just kind of sums up WCW's business now for me, I think. I'm guessing they've got Buffer in on a. On a contract that says he works 12 shows a year, I would mm. guess. Um, <coughs> I'm, I'm struggling to come to any other conclusion. Um, but yeah, this was, um, yeah, I, I think coming back to one of Wayne's points earlier, I mean, you know, Lord Christ, I think w- 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 I'd be front and centre for a, a Hawk Renegade match. Um, <laughs> just for, uh, just to see how bad that could possibly be. But yeah, I mean, it's, I have, Hawk's been around for a few months now and it's like, he's offering nothing. And he's not, not even especially over, but he's got, he's offering nothing as an in-ring presence. And uh, I think Wayne's right, you know, they got, they got Sting and Hawk with the wrong way round in this match. Um, Kurosawa for what, what the briefings we saw him was good and, and Meng, as we say, will, will end up in the Dungeon of Doom. Um, but yeah, no, nothing, uh, nothing massively to write home about. Wait, um, to go back on, or to, to, uh, continue along Dell's line, um, we did speak about this last month, but it's another month with, with Sting opening the show. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we, we, we saw it last month, and again, sharing the same sentiment as, uh, as Dell on that one. He doesn't need to be in the main event, but get him higher up, you know, he's, I, I view him, you know, I view, I, I view him, I view a lot more of him than than him being an opener. Um, and he was non-existent in this match. You know, did all throughout the match. He, you know, just seen the focus was on uh, was on Hawk and um, and and obviously Kurosawa was was in a match. Uh, was mostly in the match, but yeah, Sting just seemed non-existent, and you know they need they need to just change uh, change the stance on him a little bit uh, uh, a little bit more and uh, push him further up, definitely. Well, Bob Sting the- opened. Go on, mate. Oh, and the Renegade is a title holder. It can't be summed up any better than that. Sting well, opened, and Renegade's got a belt. Come well, on. Well, co- cover your ears if you don't want to be spoiled by what we believe is going to happen in September. Um, well, we know the first bit we know. Sting will be in the main event at Four Brawl, admittedly amongst seven other guys, but he will be there. Um, and the flip side of that is that apparently uh, Renegade will be losing his title next month to... Uh, oh, what? Well, um, yes, I know, I know. That, that, that is what I think Dave Meltzer was reporting in the Observer this month, but not before time. Uh, we'll He's dropping that for the main event, for surely. Uh, well, but yeah, perhaps. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, 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 no, he's going to join a Dungeon of Doom, isn't he? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, I was so happy when I heard that news, but tell you just... <laughs> Trust you, me. You made me realise the bigger picture. Um, Del, let, let's come to this quite amusing ending. Um, yeah, so Kurosawa puts, uh, like, it does, it kind of cinches in an arm lock, he just kind of whips it back and then buggers off. And then they come to the replay, and you see, uh, Hawk, before Kurosawa does it, kind of selling, because, you know, it's the end of the match. And Nick Patrick runs over to the ropes by the, uh, our way and g- calls for some assistance. Mm. While he does that, we get Kurosawa locking in the, uh, the arm lock. That was a, a hilarious piece of, of mistime <laughs> from Nick Patrick. To start with, I actually really liked it, because, I mean, I, I know I've kind of wrapped on Hawk, just not been able to sell. But the end of it, I thought was really good. The, the kind of putting on of the manoeuvre, the the hawk kind of almost looking actually in pain for like the first time I've seen him in I think about 15 years. But then as you say, as soon as the replay goes and it's like, we moan a lot about the kind of, the consistency rules, especially over the top rope in WCW, but hats off to Nick Patrick for his vision because that was exemplary. And we cut to a seemingly live shot of the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, Wayne, Wayne, there are three implications of the Dungeon of Doom being shown live. Either one, uh, the Dungeon of Doom is in Daytona Beach. Uh, two, uh, what's number two? Number two is that the Dungeon of Doom is contained entirely in the back of a lorry, presumably blacktop bullies. Or, number three, the entrance of the Dungeon of Doom is located in a portal somewhere backstage. Um, but wait, I don't quite understand the live Dungeon of Doom concept. That, that didn't make much sense. No, no, not at all. Um, and the, <laughs> the I was going to come to it later, but obviously brought it up now, but, uh, the, the, the fact that you had, um, when, when Hogan was, uh, was in there getting the beat down and then. But we, we can get to it later, Wayne. I'll just, right, I'll, 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 I'll save that for later then. I'll oh, save that cool. for later. Oh, cool. I, I bring it up because they did show a brief still of it while they were, while they were there. But yeah, a very interesting. Even so, uh, we come back from the break and Mean Gene Oakland says that Hawk may have suffered a hyper extension to his elbow. He is backstage, Oakland's backstage with Parker, Buck and Slater. Both Buck and Slater imply they'll hold nothing back if Sherry ends up in the ring with them. Parker says he's ready for romance. And we move on. It's Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll versus Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright. A production error, it seems, sees Wright come out with no music, although given, you know, Wright's status at the moment, that may well not be an accident. Uh, and also given that his music is horrible techno tunes, uh, that may be a blessing. Uh, the crowd don't react at all. Wright goes for a pair of schoolboys on Paige, who seems less than impressed. Wright then hits a pair of drop kicks that sends Paige to the outside. Wright sees Paige complaining, storms across the ring and hits a flying crossbody to the outside. Wright gets thrown into the corner, hits a moonsault over Paige into a drop kick. Page hits an inverted backbreaker. The doll holds up a 10 sign. Page then hits a swinging netbreaker, which gets another 10 from the doll. Wright goes for a backslide and almost gets a 3. Page charges Wright in the corner. Wright moves and DDP rams his shoulder into the ring post. Wright then manages to trip up Page. Wright hits a lovely, lovely spinning back kick, then a high knee. He follows with a lovely high angle drop kick. The referee's count seems a bit slow and DDP kicks out. That draws a few boos from the crowd. Wright goes for a tempo for DDP picks him up and Wright lands face first on the turnbuckle. Wright goes for a German suplex into a pin. Page barely kicks out. Wright goes for another tope but seems to catch his foot and Page moves out of the way. Wright lands hard on the outside. Page rolls right into the ring and picks up the three. Dell. There is definitely a couple of things I liked in this one, Bob. I think I actually quite liked the no music at the start. It wasn't something I instantly picked up on, but when you see Alex Wright coming out, 
he's got the kind of Europop techno in the background. He's kind of doing his dance and things like that. Because there was no music, there was no dance, which kind of instantly made him a bit more legitimate to me. And I kind of liked that, whether it was by design or surely if it was, they would have had other music instead of nothing. But I quite liked that. Um, the Kimberley, the Kimberley gimmick with the scorecards, I quite like. Maybe kind of change up the numbers a bit. I think she just brought the 10 this month, but that's pretty good to try and get a bit of... Well, a, a every bit of move that DDP hits is a 10, though. Pretty much, but I mean, we never even get any kind of 8s or 9s or anything. So, I mean, I think that's quite a good... I think that's quite a good tool to try and get a bit of heat building between them, because I think the fans are clearly going to side with Kimberley before they side with Paige. And I think that could be something that could can almost get a bit of dissension between them two and maybe cost page a win, something like that. But I do like the the gimmick itself. The finish I thought was pretty good with the full um page go um right goes to the outside, misses the moves, just gets rolled in and gets a win. It was kinda of similar to the the Sparky plug finish with King of the Ring at June with yourself and Jeff Parker and it's just like they get the, the foot up, top rope splash, gets knocked out in the chin and then that's the three that just come out and over and it's kind of a really believable ending. I, I just genuinely think Alex Wright gave him a, gave him maybe a year or two. I think this, this boy could kind of do wonders, pardon the pun, I think he could be really something. Wayne? Yeah, I had a lot more optimism um, going into this than I did for the uh, for the DDP Dave Sullivan match um, at the Bash at the Beach. Um, just to go back on the music, it, it was a bit of a shame, and, and I can see where Dell's coming from in the sense of there's no dancing and you know he's he, he, he's coming out. But um, the flip side of that. I don't know whether it was just the, the crowd being being dead, but that just got to sh- show me coming across through the TV that um, that is not over at all. Alex Wright, he's he's coming out with no music, and the crowd's not um, not cheering for him, whether it's because they didn't hear his music or whether he's he's, he's just not over. Um, but considering that the crowd was uh, was pretty hot for Sting, uh, the match. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't think it, that they were sat on the hands or, or anything like that. So, uh, you know, that, that there was just a bit of a shame um, on, on that front. Um, I'll go back to DDP as well. I think he's, he's, he's really, really improving um, from, uh, for, from each match. I'd, I keep seeing on him month on month. Um, you know, whether he's ready for a big push, I very much doubt it. But uh, if he keeps uh, if he keeps cracking on the way he is, then um, then he, you know there's a, there's only one way that he can go, and and, and that is up. Um, the the finish was 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 a bit weird, but in all honesty, that doesn't surprise me with the WCW. They they, they often throw out these uh, these weird finishes. I mean, we, we, we saw it last month with the uh, um, with the tornado tag, with the uh, with the, or the triple threat tag, what, what, whatever it was classed as, um, with, um, with with the way that Booker took the uh, took the pin um, and ended up uh, ended up winning. Um, so you know that that's that's not the norm. But I, I didn't know whether I, I come away thinking. Was was that really the finish, or has he really hurt himself there? And, and they've actually um, end the match. But uh, apart from that, I, I, I enjoyed the match for what it was. Um, it's a shame that they've moved direction with 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 Alex Wright, like like Dell says. You know, you give this guy um, a year to to eighteen months, and you know he can be um, you know a really good performer to to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, you know, I, I quite enjoyed this. This is another like Alex Wright's third match in four months if, if we ignore his you know a weird kind of placement given that you felt like after um after bash at the beach last month where he's a he was the losing kind of 
half in a tag team on the main event show. You kind of thought, oh, okay, that's probably it for him. Um, here he was back on pay-per-view, oh, sorry, on, on, on a major show, rather, um, on a losing end, but still, you know, against DDP, and, you know, obviously they, they wanted a guy if they thought, you know, Wright can go, and he can have a good match with Darn Dallas Page, and he did. Um, this was one of the best matches on the shows, but Wright's, Wright's quite solid these days, and he, he's athletic enough. Um, and, and, and he paid off, he played off Page quite nicely. Um, as for the finish, I quite liked it. Um, you know, I, I come back to what Jeff said about the the the, the, third, the, the Bob Holly finish, uh, King of the Ring. It's nice when a wrestler just gets caught. It's nice when a guy goes or something, messes it up, and it's like, right, he spark out, he lost the match. Um, but yeah, good match, Dale. What, what do you think of DDP? I don't get it. I, don't, I mean, the storyline wise, this part, I don't know, was it him that won the lottery, or Kimberly won the bingo, or something? And, that, if it was real, it would was, be uh, understand. It was, I mean? DDP uh, allegedly won $13 million um, gambling, I believe. Is the official was it gambling? Story. I thought it was Kimberly at the bingo or something. But, I mean, that that would be believable. They've got all this money. They've bought their way into doing something that he's always wanted to do. He's not really got any kind of good look about him. He's kind of 40 going on 60 with the looks of him. There's not a lot of athleticism there, but he's bought his way in. It's like he's just slipping, he's slipping Turner and Bischoff a couple of grand to get onto a show so he can get all his, all his mates running, they can watch it in the bar or watch it at the house or something. It's like you can believe that, but seeing it as that being just a storyline and it's like they, they seemingly see a lot in this guy, I, I just don't get it. I mean, with like, what, three, three, four years ago he was with Big Scott Hall in the Diamond Mine. And it was like, he was just in the background, he was quiet, he was big, he looked believable, but now it's like, he's front and centre and it's just, it does nothing for me whatsoever, it's like the best thing about the full act, Kimberly and our scorecards, but I, I just don't get paid at all. It also helps that Darren Dallas Page is very, very close friends with Eric Bischoff. Um, Funny enough. Uh, yeah, you, you may notice what, why is he, you know, a, a guy that seemingly has no connection with Hogan and getting quite a big push. Uh, that would be why. Um, Major Oakland is backstage with Ric Flair and I Anderson. Anderson says Vader is hiding and he's a nervous wreck. Flair briefly gets on his knees and begs Vader to lay a hand on him with Arn by his side. I move on to the world television title match. It's Paul Orndorff versus the Renegade with Jimmy Hart. Renegade storms to the ring, but Orndorff attacks him as soon as he gets under the ropes. Renegade hits a clothesline, then a body slam, all still while wearing his title belt. As Renegade poses on the turnbuckle, Orndorff runs up to him and hits a back body drop. Orndorff throws Renegade to the outside, which only seems to anger him, so he sends him to the outside again. After stalling on the apron, Renegade hits a slingshot crossbody, and that's enough for the three. Uh, Wayne, the, the only thing Renegade's got going for at the moment is that his matches aren't very long. And that is it. Nothing else but that. Um, I, I just don't understand how this guy can be in the position that he is. Um, you know, like Dell said before, you had Sting opening and Renegade's a title holder. You know, are, these, <laughs> are we in a, um, a parallel universe or something like that? Because it's it, the, the guy's got little to no wrestling skills, and yet he's 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 got a title. Um, it just doesn't make sense at all. Um, if if it's not a win by a bat body drop like we saw last month, it's now a slingshot crossbody. Um, all I'm getting from this is, does the guy not have a finishing move? Because well, know, it's weird. He does. He does do a, in his squash matches on WCW TV. He does do a top rope 
splash slash diving headbutt, which looks half decent, and yet he never seems to do them on pay per view. Yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've never seen it, and uh, I'm, 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 I'm pay per view, and, and that's obviously when he's going against the, uh, the the guys that he should be doing this finishing move, put, putting himself over. I mean, how, how else is he is, is he going to get over? He's you know, he's, he's the, the move that he ends up. He just it looks like he's, he's scraping these wins through, uh, um, you know, through uh, the moves that he's just pulling out of his uh, out, out of the bag, and. Um, I, I understand why why they're pushing him. Not that I agree with it. Do you? I well, do. Well, if if you look at it, they're uh, you know they're obviously doing it on a on a merchandise thing. Um, well, they, they've kind of you know WWF did get in contact and say watch what you're trying to do here. We still own the rights to the Ultimate Warrior gimmick, right. uh, which which is why since his debut. Um, he doesn't quite have the same kind of music and he doesn't quite have the same kind of mannerisms. Um, but yeah, like, I, I kind of understood it while it was a blatant warrior knockoff. Now it's a guy playing a version of the warrior that doesn't infringe on WWS copyright. Um, which is even less understandable. Well, when, when, when you put it like that, and obviously with, uh, with obviously the involvement of WWF and, and, and the Warrior gimmick, etc., then, then maybe, but that, that was my view on it, is that the only reason, um, this guy is in, is in the position that he is, is, uh, is, is for them to just make as much money they can from him and then, and then get rid of him. And that, that was my only, uh, my only view on it, but, uh, it's, it's just all too rushed. The, the, the guys, the, the guys just not ready to, to be in a ring and, uh, and even the crowd know that. Um, I mean, we, we saw it again. He's, he's getting booed. And, you know, the, the guy's a title holder who's meant to be a first, who's managed by Jimmy Hart, who also manages the top baby first of the company. So, you know, it, it just doesn't go hand in hand. Del? You asked me at the start, Bob, what I thought it was, and I, can I say that it was kind of weird, the, the card that they'd made up here. It's like every match we've had so far has got potential, but kind of sums it up. I mean, you've got Sting and Meng in the first match, but you've got Hawk just bringing it down. You've got Alex Wright in the last match, but you've got DDP. Now we've got even even Orndorff in this one is seen as a good guy, which I think, I think the crowd actually kind of looked at it like that as well at times, but Renegade is just... It does nothing. But it's not just like an opinion for me. It seemingly does nothing for anybody. It doesn't make Orndorff look any better. It doesn't get the crowd involved. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. And it's like every match has got half of it, half of the jigsaws in place. It's like they've done the outside of the jigsaw, but just getting in the middle, it's like, ah, never mind. And it's like, Ondorf, I thought was in a pretty good place with Roma. Roma could do a lot of the work. Obviously Roma's not there anymore, so Ondorf's now kind of doing singles. I think you could easily get another couple of years out of Paul Orndorff if he's protected and he's in a tag team. He can, he can get the heat, but he doesn't need to do much of the work. He's got the psychology, but he doesn't need to gas his sell it. But then if you put him in singles, there's a couple of months, I think, at best in this, and it's like, can we not bring in, I don't know, is there no regal or what? Bump Pillman up for the, for the main event and bring him into this. Don't maybe put him with the Renegades. It's just going to make Brian Pillman look bad, but... You could easily just shuffle the card about a little bit and make that a couple of good matches. And as you said earlier on, kind of jokingly, we don't like to see Hawk and Renegade, but at least if we're talking Renegade in the same match, it would just be one shit match and then we'd maybe get something else good. But with these guys just getting into spots, it's just, 
I don't know, it's just like, how can you make a, a reasonable thing bad? Seems to be the logic, I think, of these, these matches, but I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I think kind of Wayne struck on a good point, which is, you know, what, why is Renegade at this stage in the game being managed by Jimmy Hart? How does that, how does that help Hogan? And I've got no idea. Um, is the answer long story short. And I know Hogan introduced Renegade, um, back, uh, it would have been around the Flair feud, I think, um, because Hogan needed, um, someone to deal with Arn Anderson, I think, at Slambury. Um, so that, you know, that at least, that tie-in makes sense. It's not like the bit at the start didn't make sense, but it's like, the minute you can't make him Warrior Mark II, and not that it would have worked anyway, because I don't even think Renegade's got 10% of the ability that Warrior had. Um, the minute you can't do that, what's the point in having him around? He's just there being awful. Um, and I can't believe that. The, I, I assumed Orndorff was probably going to win the title here. That probably makes sense. Now, apparently, DDP is going to win the title next month. And DDP is probably a better guy to hold the belt than Orndorff is at this stage. Although Orndorff could, could be in that kind of veteran heel role as champion. He did that um, not too long ago. Um, but, yeah, I don't understand it. The match was, you know, it was just shite. I mean, it was just like... I mean, you know, he, he, Renegade can do a couple of things quite impressively. The body slam was quite good. The splash he does in some of his squash matches is quite good. But dare I say, the splash is one of the easier moves to hit. You just leap off the top turnbuckle, stick your arms in the air, and land correctly. Um, it's not a massively complex move. It's not a massively dangerous move either if you're trained correctly. Um, but other than that, he's got no redeeming features, and and, and Wayne's right. It, Jimmy Hart, and I, I think Jimmy Hart is a horrible act anyway. Um, but Jimmy Hart, alongside the Renegade, cannot reflect well on Hogan. Um, in, in fact, Renegade, you know, as he is, cannot reflect well on Hogan, given that you know Renegade came in, and all he seems to be good at at the moment is having really short matches. And that's the thing; it's not like. It's not like they're even putting him with great, great wrestlers or anything like that. They are having him go in very, very short matches, which, which tells me they're in on the gag as well. And it's like, well, you're only cutting your nose to spite your face. You think this is funny, but I don't think they do. Um, but yeah, the sooner this experiment ends, the better, um, because it's just terrible. We get backstage with Oakland and Vader. Vader says he's attempting history tonight and he has no fear. We now seem to be trying to kill time ahead of the top of the hour. We get a long video package previewing the six-person tag match. It's Bunkhouse Buck, Daddy Dick Slater and Colonel Ronald Parker versus Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray and Sister Sherry. If the Heat and Sherry win the match, the Heat will get a title shot against Dick and Buck at the next pay-per-view. Sherry wants Parker in the ring, but Parker in his shirt and trousers is quite happy he stood on the apron. The Heats have to hold Sherry back. Ray starts unloading on Slater, who quickly retreats to his corner. Ray hits a scoop slam on Slater. Buck climbs to the top, Booker T kicks him, and then hits a lovely angle drop kick. Sherry then gets a slap in on Buck before raking his eye. Booker T drops an elbow, then does a big breakdancing, big bit of breakdancing before getting to his feet. Sherry's getting irate on the apron, hits a nail slated with a right hand. Booker T hits a nice jumping sidekick as we hit the advert break. 
And during one of the commercials, we get a company, we see the company giving away a Harley Davidson. I'll be announcing the winner on the premiere of WCW Monday Nitro on September the 4th on TNT. Best I can tell, this is the first time they've announced it on television, the new show. Um, so I think we can call that a bit of an anti-climax as an announcement goes. Back in the ring, Bunkhouse Buck hits a nice drop kick on Booker T. Finally, Parker gets tagged in, and that seems to liven up the crowd. The Heat a nice double suplex on Parker. Tags in Sherry, who hits a little crossbody from the top. The crowd are going nuts for this. Sherry then drops a leg on Parker's crotch, then goes to a splash from the top, and appears to knock herself out as Parker moves out of the way. Sherry eventually comes to. Parker picks her up. Sherry jumps into his arms, kisses him. Parker falls backwards to the ground, and the referee counts to three as Sherry is on top of him. After the match, Sherry drags Parker up the aisle way and starts kissing him again. Sherry chases after Parker to the backstage area. Wayne, what did you think? Um... It goes. I, I love Sherry. Um, I've, got, I've got to put it out there. She's um, she's just a mad woman. Uh, I love her to bits. She, she takes bumps like there's no tomorrow. Um, she's just amazing in the ring when um, um, just how, how she can just take bumps the way she does with fully grown men. You know, it's uh, the about half the size of her in in that sense, um, width and height, etc. And you know the the. the the moves that she's taking from these guys is uh, is, is nothing short on um, on amazing. Um, the match itself, going through the motions, I always thought that it was all about it was all about Parker, it was all about Sherry, um, Sherry on the uh, on on the on on the apron, just being an absolute crazy bitch was uh, um, <laughs> was pretty good. And um, and then yes, yeah, as soon as, as soon as Sherry and, uh, and Parker got in there. Uh, you know the match lit up a bit, as you said. The, the crowd was hot for it. Um, kudos to uh, to Parker as well for uh, for taking the, um, the the double suplex from um, from from Harlem Heat, um, and um, to go hand in hand with everything I've said about the weird finishes and, and, and WCW. Um, Sherry unintentionally um, pins Parker by, uh, by by kissing him after the. Uh, uh, ridiculous uh, storyline of uh, getting a bump on his head, on her, on her head, and now um, <laughs> now being in love with him, um, and then uh, and then at the right end we had a bit of sexual assault. So what more do you want from a match? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, they, they've never done this one before. Uh, Del, did you watch the commercials in this match? Um, I only I only made note of the uh, of the nitro bit. I don't. I, May have done, I don't remember. There's a new Judge Dredd game coming out, I think it's the Mega Drive that's coming out for the Genesis. I swear to God, I was convinced it was Vince McMahon doing the voice for that. I don't know if anybody else knows that. that There's that. I was convinced that, whether it was or not, I don't know. Did did, did, did one of them do something and did he go, what a manoeuvre? That, that, we'll know. Ah, see that. um, He never said unbelievable, so it might not have been him. Uh, 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 did, uh, did he count one, two, three? He got him, and then Judge Dredd didn't have him. Did, did that happen? Ah, see now you're now you're making me doubt myself. I think you're honest. I'm a dyke. It was him that he said that. Um, I need to steal. I need to steal another page out of, out of Wayne Lithgow's book. Jerry Martel is phenomenal. I, I, I was trying to think during this match. Actually, I actually think it was when the commercials were on. Then Vince doing Judge Dredd distracted me. I was trying to think of any female performer in the history of wrestling that's better than Sherry Martell, and I couldn't think of anybody. 
No. Whether it's the look that she's got, the promos that she can do, that is when says the bumps that she takes. And I mean, all, my mind always goes back to that Hogan Flair match for last year when she takes the, or was it, in fact, no, it was Flair and Sting when she took the bump to the side and seemingly rattled her head off the guardrail. I think she's just phenomenal and everybody that she's with she just makes them better. I mean, Macho Man was beloved. He was there with Elizabeth and when he went to the bad side, it was Sherry Martell that made him. She was there with the Macho King and made him hated at that point. She brought Shawn Michaels legitimacy. She actually made him into a star. Even the brief time that she had with Shane Douglas and ECW, she made him better. Now she's with Booker and Stevie Ray. I think Booker's got a pretty decent promo. Stevie's got a really good, uh, Stevie Ray's got a really good look. I think he just looks like an absolute unit. And I, I just love Sherry Martell. And as Wayne said as well, Parker's just, Parker's just all in on his gimmick. I mean, it is a bit, it's a bit southern, a bit 80s, a bit Memphis even, but he's all in on it and you can't really, you can't really decry him for that, but I see Sherry Martell just made this for me, anything that she's had, I just think's absolute gold. The match itself, I thought, was was slower than a night in the cells, but I must admit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, three for three on the Sherry stuff, um, she's great. Um, she's you know, excellent in this match, and as I say, I think it's testimony to, to, to both of them um, that the crowd were dead throughout this, and then they got in the ring, and the crowd just started to come alive. And it's like, that's what you get when you've got character investment. And it's, it's one thing WCW are struggling with on the whole. Um, a lot of it's self-inflicted, don't get me wrong, but they are lacking in that area. Um, <coughs> but no, the, the, the match was, was, was pretty dull up until, up until they, they both got in the ring. Um, and, and Sherry's, Sherry's just a really good worker. There's no real other way of putting it. Um, the bit with her knocking herself out was a bit clunky. Um, she can't like land on her feet and then fell forward and just like slid across the ring. Um, and then the bit at the end, uh, you know, take or leave the storyline, but, but it did play into it quite nicely. Wayne, what do you think of the match itself before we got to the antics? Well, uh, as I said, I, I thought the, the match was just going through the motions. Um, it was like, like Del says, it was just, just pretty slow. It was, it was just waiting for, uh, for Parker and Sherry to get in and uh, there wasn't anything to take note of really un- until they got in there. Um, just to change it a little bit slightly, I know you mentioned before about the, about the Harley Davidson. I, I, you know, I forgot to, uh, um, I for- forgot to add it before, but if they're meant to be competing with WWF and, uh, and, and trying to uh, outdo them, do they not realise that they gave away a house two months ago? Yeah, but <coughs> I um I don't know that that was a good thing for for WWF. I, I don't know what that cost or, or or what that made back. Um, and equally, um, they're not their show isn't called WCW Harley Davidson Monday Nights. No, true. Um, so I, I don't. But you're going to meet Hulk Wayne. You're going to meet the Hulk star. Well, of course, and I suppose WCW is spend, spending within the means as well. Yes, yes, well, they, they have to be now. They, they, yeah. they found out Nitro's not going to make him any money. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, they're giving away Harley Davidson, I think, because the Harley Davidson gave them a bite to give away. I don't think this was a case of them stumping up a prize, just happened to have one to give away. <coughs> and we, uh, we move, go backstage, immediately Oakland. It's with Hulk Hogan. Hogan name drops the McMahons as people from his past who, uh, well, his past. Uh, after the break, Major Oakland says that every pay-per-view buy for Full Brawl, one dollar will be donated to the MDA National Ambassador uh, Thomas Diaz. Uh, Del, what did MDA stand for? Um, 
Oh, muscular dystrophy, weren't it? That was right. Um, uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, Thomas Diaz was out in a wheelchair, and yeah, this was them just basically taking advantage. Uh, Randy Savage comes out and tries to kind of steer Thomas through a, a, a segment, um, mentions the debut of Nitro. And then we enter the live dungeon of doom. Hogan tells Taskmaster to bring every weapon he's got. The giant gets home from behind and drives him into the ground. We're going to get some dodgy camera work. As the rest of the Dungeon of Doom fight Hogan. Vader is on hand and he clears them off. He squares off against the giant. Jimmy Hart comes out and Sting and they get Hogan out of there. Wayne. <laughs> yeah, um, you, you, you gave me three options before about what it was, uh, what, what the dungeon is. Is it, is it, is there a portal? Um, is it in the back of a truck? Um, or is it on Daytona Beach? Um, I, I, I was thinking that it's either a Daytona Beach or, uh, uh, or it must have a portal, but thinking about it more, I think you're in the right sense with the, um, with the truck. You know, like the, the mobile homes. Well, I think Kevin Sullivan just drives around in a mobile dungeon. And that's how he <laughs> yeah. gets from, um, well, 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 they, they've got Bunny's lorry and that he's not there anymore, but I'll do something with it. Yeah, yeah, well, true, true. But the, the, the sheer fact that, um, Everyone was close by and was helping Hogan out. Um, 
really squashed it for me. <laughs> I just didn't understand it one bit. Yeah, you, Hogan walks in through what what we'll call the official dungeon entrance, which is to the left of uh, of um, uh, King Curse's like, throne, essentially. Um, so you you kind of feel like you're looking into like an enclosed dungeon, and then. Um, the giant follows through the official door. That's fine. He attacks Hogan. And then we get the other guys from the Dungeon of Doom, Zodiac Shark and Kamala, running from the side. I guess that's fine because they're part of the Dungeon of Doom, so they might have a secret bit or a bit off camera. That bit makes sense. Um, and then Vader just comes in from behind the camera. <laughs> and, and then and then Jimmy Hart and Sting come in from left of camera. And I'm thinking, how many portals are there? You know, I I, I don't know. But yeah, it, it's weird in the sense that the, the rationale behind all this from Kevin Sullivan apparently is you've got to suspend your disbelief. But it's like, I suspend my disbelief and it still doesn't make sense. Like, I, I still can't. You, you have to suspend your disbelief to watch wrestling. You have to suspend your disbelief to believe storylines that make sense in a wrestling context. This, Del, this just doesn't. I mean, they're suspending your belief, but I mean, I, I think if you understand the concept of the suspension of your own conscious belief, you're, you're incapable of understanding this. I think the only way that you can understand it is if you don't know what that means. And it's like, we talk about 90s cartoon wrestling, I mean, it doesn't get any worse than this. And then the fact, I mean, if you're so invested that you can watch these segments and you're so invested in Hulk Hogan and his battle against the Dungeon of Doom and overcoming the odds and winning triumphant and Hulkamania lives on, it's just, there's, I can't, I can honestly think of no redeeming features in this. I mean, not a tread on old ground, but I mean, at the, the start of this full debacle, was Kevin Sullivan before he became the Taskmaster? Was he no like running through forests in his underparts to get here? Yeah. And like Hogan arrives, he doesn't know where the hell he is, but then Savage Sting Invader, the seemingly just chanced upon a cosmic key or a treasure map and found their way there. Well, Conveniently well, enough, live on TV. He was at the other end of the forest, and tonight it wasn't. It was outside Daytona Beach Arena or wherever they were. I mean, did Randy just, like, take one of his old sequin jackets for the 80s and 90s and just kind of tie a fucking thread to Kevin Sullivan when he was running through the forest and then they just followed it like like they were in a a Greek maze? I just don't... I don't get this. And, I mean, the... Kind of moving on as well, I mean, there was the full giant thing in this as well, and it's, I mean, the... The beauty of WrestleMania 3 with Andre and, and Hogan that's been alluded to all the way through this, the beauty of that was it was organic. And it's like the, the, the bit when Piper's pit, like what, eight, eight years ago now, it was almost a throwaway spot, that full crucifix thing. It was just like an afterthought, it was just a, a happy chance that, that that happened and they got the camera to zoom in on it and then that, that became a part of the story, and you had Andre with this big, 15, I think was it 14, 15 year, he'd went undefeated, and he'd never been offered a title shot, and then he sided with, with the brain, he sided with Bobby Heenan, and then it was built into the big story, you had Piper there being the, the master of ceremonies and the build up, I mean it was just organic, and it felt good, and it felt real, and it's like, it was genuinely like, oh who's gonna win this, this is, this is like, fucking titan meeting Zeus and it's going to be amazing but this is just see to be honest it's actually worse than the renegade for me 
I mean, at least the Renegade at best is low budget. There's very little loss in that. I mean, they thought they were going to bring in Jim Helwig. They thought they'd make a lot of, they thought they'd make a lot of licensing deals and merchandise sales. I mean, at the end of the day, they've just lost money that they could have made with the Renegade, but they've actually spent money on this shit. And it's just, I don't know, maybe I've been a bit harsh and maybe it's just because I missed the debut of this debacle last month, but I, I cannot hide my apathy at this. No, um, just to quickly fill in something Del referenced that I don't think I actually wrote down, um, was when the giant kind of confronts Hogan, he does yank the crucifix off of Hogan just to fill that bit in. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing, Wayne, that I took note of was that the bit after, because kind of giant locks in kind of a nerve hold on Hogan's shoulder, which drives into the mat, uh, or to the floor, um, or to the, um, the, the, the base of the lorry. Uh, it's not in a lorry, but, um, <laughs> And then we, we, we get the rest of the Dungeon of Doom running, and we end up with this like really, really soft, floaty, cartoony beatdown of Hogan. You know, you got camera gets really up close, starts shaking around, and you get, you know, you get real up close of Zodiac not really laying in a kick, and Shark making a lot of noise and not really looking like he's hurting Vader. Well, it just looks awful. Yeah, all of it does. Yeah. Um... I'll be honest with you, Bob. I, I, apart from just agreeing with you, I, I've not got much more to add on that. It, it just looks. Shall we move on? If the dungeon is in a portal, there may be some conflicting gravity and/or altitude, which seemingly led then to the soft appearing blows and the lack of action. Now that I, can, that I can suspend my disbelief for. I am all in on this shit. Well, well, well equally, equally. Equal, oh, we're getting somewhere now. Equally, what if it turns out Paul White is actually only five foot nine? But in, in, in the, the, the version of the Dungeon of Doom with the portal and things getting lost, he's actually seven foot two. What if we get to the debut of the giant and he's like Paul Laurie from ECW? Boom. That's it. I've invested now. I wasn't invested two minutes ago. See, that... we've been investing so much time in this thinking the idea itself came out of someone's brown hole. It's actually a black hole, and we have just sussed the scientific aspect of this entire yeah, our, angle. Yeah, our, our fault as a viewer was not suspending our disbelief enough. We didn't look at the Master was right. There we go. Uh, we move on. We get a preview of War Games uh, from uh, Full Brawl. Um... <coughs> they haven't lined all this up yet, but they do flash very, very quickly through all eight main event participants, including Vader, who will be on the face team, and including Meng, who will be on the Dungeon of Doom, even though he hasn't joined them yet. Um, now we move on to the main event. It's Ric Flair and Arn Anderson versus Vader in a two-on-one handicap match, uh, a one-on-one in the ring, and then the, the other Flair or Anderson stood on the outside tagging in. Um, Arn starts in the ring with Vader. Vader unloads on Anderson in the corner. Um, Vader uh, hits an atomic drop and closes on Anderson over the top. Back in the ring, Vader beats on Anderson some more until Anderson reverses an Irish whip and hits a very nice spine buster. With that, Flair finally offers to tag himself into the match while you know Anderson has the advantage. Flair stomps a couple of times and does his strut, but Vader pops up and hits a pair of body press slams. Vader whips Flair across the ring, who does his flip onto the apron. Vader meets him on his way down with a clothesline. Flair goes to grab a chair, but as the ref follows him, Anderson knocks down Vader. Anderson back in the match, hits an IDDT, and Flair gets back in and sets for a figure four. Vader escapes, Flair climbs to the top, and Vader throws him off. Vader hits a splash, and Anderson breaks up the count. 
Vader then hits a splash from the top. Anderson once again is on hand to break up the pin. Vader gets up, sends them both to the mat. Flair is spark out. Vader hits a gut wrench powerbomb and wins the match. Dell. Arn Anderson's one of my favourite wrestlers and he's still got it. We've seen the, the promo mid show where, with Gene and Flair was there as well. Thought it was brilliant. I thought the play acting with these two threat it was quite good. We know Double A can hold that during a, during a match as we've seen with, when he teamed with Dustin Rhodes last year and then turned on him right at the death with a DDT. I just think he's amazing. Flair I still think's good. Vader is the super heavyweight in the world. In the minute, whether it's America, whether it's Japan, the only thing I worry about this face turn is that the only real contemporary that Vader's got is Bam Bam, and Bam Bam's face run is just dying a death for me. Um, but I mean, it, is, it was another kind of slow match, but again, just having equal name power just made this look a lot better, I think, for me. I've already moaned about Hawk being involved in a match, and then when you've got Sting, you've got Alex right there, but you've had to put up with Paige. This was Vader, top heavyweight, one of the best heels in recent memory. All right, he's a face now, but looking past the, the flaws in that, I like him. Flair and Anderson, I just think, are brilliant, whether it's together, side by side, or kind of back-to-back, or front-to-back, however they're lining up, if it's as a team or if it's against each other, I think they're brilliant, but... It was just a really disappointing show, but this was one of the few highlights for me. No, you, you can't beat a heel-to-face term where the, the, the heel essentially does nothing different, just is a face. And that's mm. what Vader did. I mean, Well, to be fair, had... he did. He, I did quite like it at the start with the full... Kind of, it was almost like a throwback to Big Van Vader when he's out with the Mastodon headdress. He's out with... The kind of pie, I think. I did quite like that. That was slightly different for him, to be fair. Well, he's, he's had the headdress for, yeah, you know, he had that at Bash of the Beach. He's well, had I suppose. Um, but equally, like, when, when he won the match and he just turned around and did his usual pose to the crowd mm. and they popped rather than booed. Um, I, I, I did like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, I really enjoyed this match. It, it, it was classic. It was just like, classic three, you know, veterans in the ring together. And in the sense that there's a great story where Anderson like works really, really hard to get on top. Flair waits until Anderson's really on top, tags himself into the match, and then Flair loses all that advantage. <laughs> I, I love that, that storytelling. Why? What do you think? Yeah, no, I uh, totally agree. I, th- I thought this was... Uh... Um, was one of a few shining lights about the um, about, about the whole show. Um, you know, to show I've used this word uh, or this statement a few times tonight, but to show the same sentiment as Dell, um, and um, just really carries on impressing me. Um, whether it's his promos or whether he's in the ring again, he you know he uh, he didn't let me down again. Um, just love the, the the momentum he was he, he was building up, and uh, and then on the on the other side. Um, just absolutely love Fleur for uh, for just playing the the chicken shit heel that he uh, that he does well, um, taunting at Vader and then then hiding and then uh, and like you said, only coming in when he uh, um, when when Anne's, um got everything going on on the side. I think there was one point when when Arn did the uh, did the spine buster and Fleur did a, a blind tag or something and then then come in. Um, unless I missed that one, um, and then uh, and then on on, on Vader's side of things, um, he, he was he, he was trying to sell a little bit when he was uh, when he was getting beat down and, and he was doing it quite well. But my, my gripe about it more than anything was uh, when the he was obviously doing work on his uh, on his leg and then Fleur had him in the. Um, 
um, in the figure four, and then all of a sudden his his leg was fine. There was uh, there was nothing wrong with it, and and I I know that he's obviously meant to be this uh, this big um, well baby face uh, monster, but just just little bits like that. I just still think that they need ironing out if uh, if if you want me to believe into him. Um, um, the way he is, but all in all, I thought you know I thought the match was, um, as I said, it was, uh, it was it was one of a few shining lights, and and I actually enjoyed it. Why? What, what do you think of uh, 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 Vader's prospect as a babyface? Del, Del quite rightly referenced Bam Bam Bigelow um, and where that went. Uh, given what happened in the Dungeon of Doom segment, I, I, I guess I'm stating the obvious and saying what they're probably setting up Vader for is a guy that the giant can beat out of the gate, which I guess makes a lot of sense. Um, but once they do that, Wayne, is, is there much for Vader as a face on this roster? No, we we, we covered it off last month, didn't we? When he when he when he turned first um, after uh, uh, after the uh, Bash of the Beach finished, and you know we said we or, or at least I I said it last month in. If you, you're turning him face, and what have you got for him? Um, yeah, you've like I said you've you, you you've got the giant there, but after that, the, there is no one. He's in. He's, obviously, he's, he's going to be behind Hogan. He's, he's going to be behind Savage, and can <laughs> contradict to to what we've been saying all night. Um, he'll probably be behind Sting as well, and um, and you know, he's, he, I, I think the term was, you know, I, I think it was the wrong way to go about things. But if the turn was due for the sheer fact that um, he's, he's just going to be there for the giant, then I think it was the wrong call. After the match, Flair shouts some abuse at Anderson, who doesn't take it well. The pair stare down. Flair slides out of the ring. We cut to the R way, and Hogan, Sting, Savage, and Hart come out. Now, keep keep this in mind for for what you're about to hear in the TV review, because I hope I explain it properly, but I, but I will cover it here. Essentially, they air a segment on Saturday night, six days following this, that implies that Hogan is backstage being interviewed by me and Gene Oakland during this main event match. And then things get a bit weird. So so in the Clash version, Hogan, Sting, Savage and Hart come out. Hogan says, I want to know what state of mind Vader is in and that he is declaring war on the Dungeon of Doom. What you're going to hear in a bit, what you'll hear once we've, we've done our school ratings, is you'll hear a promo with Gene and Hogan that is happening apparently while the match is going on in Vader's dressing room. And during that segment, uncut, Vader walks into Hogan's dressing room and they have the promo that you're all about to hear. And then Hogan comes out and says, I want to know what state of my Vader's in. So they kind of got that a bit out of order. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of leave that to um, what you're about to hear in a minute. Uh, Del, your overall thoughts on the Clash of Champions and a score rating out of 10. Overall, disappointing to me, as I say, I think there was definitely some, some shining lights in there. I like Alex Wright, I like Sting, we'd never really got to see them kind of show what they can do best. There was a lot of filler, um, from a performance aspect. I mean, Hawk can't sell. Orndorff as good a heel as he has, he's past it. Page, I don't see anything in. But, for what you lose in that, you gain with Sherry, you gain with, with Flair and Anderson. It was on TV. It's not going to be a WrestleMania or a Starcade, but overall, I think even for a TV show, I think the best I can give this is about a 4 out of 10.
Wayne. Yeah, so same from me. Um, if it was, if it wasn't on free TV, um, <coughs> I, I think the um, the rating I'll give it would have been would have been a lot lower. Um, you know, like like Del says, the, you know, obvious shining lights in the Alex Rye put on a uh, put on a good match. Um, the interaction with with Sherry and Parker, uh, you know, I really bought into. Um, and then you know even the uh, the the main event as well i uh, yeah i got I took some enjoyment out of there um but still it was it, it was it was just one of those uh, just one of those events that was um you know bit bit forgettable in in some sense as well and um uh, you know hawk on there and uh, and renegade um and then the whole the whole thing with um with, with hogan is uh, is just putting a dampener things on uh, on um for for me anyway so but overall I'll, I'll I'll give it a 5 yeah I'm with you on 5 out of 10 um you know there there what you know, this show is almost entirely missable you know main events not bad but it's nothing to write home about um other than that um, nothing is, you know, I suppose the Dungeon of Doom, again, if you're a glutton for punishment, I guess, you know, look at that. Um, right DDP ain't bad. Um, it, again, yeah, it's, it, it's just, it's not bad enough to be must watch. And it's nowhere near good enough that, and there's nothing good enough on this show that you have to go back and see. Um, but it's just a middling show. It's not a particularly long show to watch. If you've got a couple of hours to kill and you listen to review, it's like, well, you know, might as well watch it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily deter you from it, but equally there's, there's, this is an entirely skippable show. Um, which, you know, I think, I feel like WCW should be capable of more than this, and they certainly are. Um, but I think as Wayne alluded to earlier, just their, their overall direction just isn't geared really for being able to do a good job of this. Um, and, uh, yes, we will now transition into that Hogan and Vader promo. Hulk Hogan, why in the world would you subject me to coming back to Vader's dressing room? You know I get nervous around the man. You do, too. Oh, you don't mean, Gene. It's a little nerve-wracking hanging out in Vader's den, brother. He's taking care of business right there, brother. But I just want to know where the brother's coming from, man. Dungeon of Doom. Yeah, he put the fires out. He saved my hide. But then he got up in my face, brother. You know... I got the same problems Vader does, brother. The Dungeon of Doom, Kevin Sullivan trying to destroy Hulkamania, brother. You know what's right around the corner. Could be feast or famine for Hulk Hogan, brother. I'm assuming you're talking about Fall Brawl of the War Games in two cages and two rings. Yeah, I got a little plan for Fall Brawl. He must have finished this guy off, brother. I can hear him coming back. The bell must have rung. Hang tough, brother. We're in Vader's room. Hang tough. He scares the devil out of me. I don't know if I want to even be around here. Just a second. 432 pounds. What you doing in my locker room, Hogan? I want to know where you're coming from, Vader. What were you doing in my face last week, brother? I came. I took care of business, brother, because you have something around your waist, brother, and it's gold. And someday we're going to hook up one more time to answer that question. Well, I'll tell you something, Vader. Seems like we both got a couple of the same problems. You know, a lot of people in your face, a lot of people are in my face. War games around the corner. Why don't you team up with me and my Hulkamaniacs? And then, brother, if you play it straight, fight with me just for one night. 
I'll give you whatever you want down the road. I'll oh. put that WCW title up down the road. Okay, okay. We'll get it on again, Vader. Let, let me hear these. You give me your word. I give you my okay, word. Listen, brother. You know what? A lot of people have done a lot of things to me, but never, never in this business. Have people lied to me like the people in the Jum? And yes, yeah, you are Hulk Hogan. You are the power behind Hulkamania. And for that, I give you respect, brother. I got your back. You want to go to war? Yeah, well, I give on. you my word, not give me your word. I give you my word on that night and that day, brother. We are side by side, and we will go to war. Get ready, Vader. Oh, I'm going to get in the shower. All right, Hulk Hogan. Get ready, Vader. You're in for the war of your life. I'm just glad you're on my side. Me, Gene. Can you trust him? Don't worry about trusting him, brother. He's in check with a macho and staying Hulk Hogan. The maniacs are watching. All I gotta say, brother, like the shot that was heard around the world, you tell that no-good raggedy Nick Bockwinkle, my team is ready for war games. Sting, macho, Hogan, and Vader time. What you gonna do, Shark, Kamala, and Zodiac, man? Whoever else, he pulls out the word work. Andre said it don't matter. The whole dungeon of doom. What you gonna do, Sullivan, when Hogan's team of maniacs challenges you? What you gonna do if you got any guts? Meet us head on head at War Games. You're gonna be mine. On the 12th of August edition of WCW Saturday Night After Clash, we get a debut vignette of Cobra, who is apparently left in the jungle by Sergeant Craig Pittman. Morse code and helicopter sound effects play over a mysterious clip. Pittman, who later asked about the name Cobra by Mean Gene Oakland, went very silent. A bizarre segment aired next, more in the sense that the timeline didn't line up with how things happened at the Clash. We cut back to a clip during filmed during the match between Vader, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. Hogan's backstage with Mean Gene Oakland in Vader's locker room. He says he wants Vader on his team at full brawl. Vader then walks in at the end of his match, apparently having just finished. Uh, Hogan says he'll give Vader a title shot if he agrees to team with him at the pay-per-view. Vader accepts. All well and good, but when you watch back what happens at the Clash, Hogan walks out onto the ramp and demands to know where Vader is at. Harlem Heat defeated the Nasty Boys after Conor Art Parker threw a drink in Jerry Sag's eyes while he was in the turnbuckle. R. Anderson said in the clip that he and Flair have agreed to disagree, but there were no big issues following the clash of the champions. He and Flair defeated Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Marcus Alexander Bagwell in the main event. On August 19th, Meng was introduced as the newest member of the Dungeon of Doom, wearing some very strange headgear. Taskmaster said that the balance of power had shifted. We got a clip later in the show of Hogan, Vader, Savage and Sting in army gear preparing for full brawl. They looked in good spirits in camo and face paint. In the main event, Ric Flair pinned Alex Wright while Wright was in the figure four leg lock. Flair and Anderson had a confrontation after the match. Anderson told Flair he doesn't need to cheat to win. Flair used his put his arms on the ropes to get leverage during the pin. We finish August with the 26th edition of WCW Saturday Night. Cobra debuts winning a squash. He says that only he and Pittman know what the Morse code in the vignettes mean. We're going to get Brian Pillman versus Johnny Bad at full brawl. The winner will face Sting for the US title. They had a tense confrontation and handshake with Ming G. Unanswered in a sit-down interview said him against Slayer at full brawl will be the fight of the decade. During a Harlem Heat squash match, Sister Sherry was out doing her makeup in a mirror. She was wearing a ring round her neck that belongs to Colonel Robert Parker. During the main event of Buckhouse Buck and Dirty Six Slater vs. Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Alex Wright, the match ended when Colonel Robert Parker climbed into the ring in an attempt to run away from Sister Sherry. 
the show went off the air with Parker fleeing into the stands, closely followed by Sherry. WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Rick Flair! cannot believe the news recently. I cannot believe my ears. I cannot believe what I heard. The fact that you and your longtime friend, former Four Horsemen member, Arn Anderson, apparently egos or something getting in the way of your friendship, but you're going to be meeting at Fall Ball, the War Games, on September the 17th. What's happening? You know, Gino, you've been so close to me in my career. We remember the long ride from my home to the Independence Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina, when I had to wrestle the monster Vader. The whole world said, either flares in or flares out. One or the other. That was supposed to be the biggest night of my wrestling life. Up until Fall Brawl, it was. Now what's happened to you? Double A. I put my hand out. My blood, my kin, my best friend. Pulled his hand back. Why does that happen? Many fans would say this is the dream match of a lifetime, but I never thought it would become a reality. Oh, it is the dream match, but it's the match that was never supposed to happen. It was the two best friends and the greatest sport, the sport of kings. We did it all. We are family. We are best friends. We have dominated. We took the world over. We became the four horsemen. They all came and went. Luger, Wyndham, Blanchard, we stayed. We hung together. We dominated the 90s. And here we are today, on the verge of the biggest pay-per-view in the history of wrestling. Do you know why it is? Because it's double A versus the Nature Boy. Think about it, Doc. You've been out with me. I used to walk into any bar anywhere I wanted in the world, and if I fancied the scent of a beautiful woman, I snatched her. And I never took a step backwards. You know why? Because if the guy she was with didn't like it, double A pounded him. And then he sat down next to me. And I bought him a beer. We rode as high as you can ride. We were family. It was real. We did it all, brother. You can say it to your kids 20 years from now. I can say it to mine now. We've done it all. We rode limousines. We flew in jets. We kissed all the girls that made them cry, and we beat any wrestling combination, one-on-one, -on -one, tag team, four-on-four, -four, alive in this sport. Now at Fall Brawl, for some reason, I feel Gene that familiarity with someone has bred a little contempt. And I actually think for the first time in his illustrious career, Double A, is saying to himself, do I cross that line? Do I find out? Am I the equal of the nature boy or do I stay back? I don't think it happened. Double A, I think you know what you are. That's why you're in the ring with me at Fall Brawl. What I got to do to you, pal, is prove why I've been where I've been for a lifetime. Woo! I don't even know if I want to see this one. I thank you. What of a kind. And we will discuss, I think, probably the big talking point coming out of the TV in the final few weeks of August. Um, 
Dell, which is the impending, well, the breakup really of, of Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Yeah. Uh, we got we got a fantastic Ric Flair promo, which uh, you will have heard. I think, yeah, you'll you'll hear the Anderson promo at the end of this bit, and the Flair promo you will have heard. Um, and we we got that as well. Um, what do you think about what what they're doing with, with, with Anderson and Flair? I mean, I. I don't know, this feels like a good match. I love the promos we've got out of them so far, but I kind of don't know what their exit strategy is once they've done the match. I think that's the long-term concern. I mean, short-term, I think it'll be good TV. You'll get a couple of good pay-per-view matches out of this, I would think, whether it's whether it lasts as long as Starcade or if maybe they're hoping to to try and maybe get the, get the payoff by Starcade. Don't really know, as long as this... This Dungeon of Doom debacle's going on, I think anything that's going to get any semblance of a chance of being successful and good to watch, I think it's brilliant, but for the two guys involved, I mean, it's, it's, as you say, the, the Flair promo was decent, we're going to hear how good Arn is still in the mic as well. Arn Anderson is, is the kind of enforcer, seeing him as a baby face is a bit of a change when he seems to be like he's going to be the good guy in this, but Ric Flair, I think, even in the clash in the pro. And everything that's probably still to come in this programme as well. Ric Flair has seemingly just been, been just divulging himself into the Bobby Heenan handbook and he's doing it to perfection. He can do, I think it was Wayne that said earlier on that chicken shit heel. He can run about, he can kind of lose the, lose the goodness that he's getting for Arn when they're fighting face to face. Flair then blames Arn for losing the match and then he's going to get his comeuppance. Where that goes long term, I don't really know, but as a journey, it's just something I'm looking forward to. It's two old pros, as you said earlier on yourself, Bob. The two of them can go, they're probably past their peak, but they're past their peak to an extent that they can still go, unlike some one who perhaps may or may not be the world heavyweight champion at this point of view, but the two of them can still go. They're going to have good matches, they're going to have good promos, they're going to have good chemistry. So you really need for a good programme, innit? Wayne? Yeah, um, like, like Bell says, there's, there's one thing to guarantee you're going to get a great feud out of, uh, out, out of these two, but the, the thing I'm worried about more than anything is, is the long-term vision. Um, the, the, the other thing about it as well is we've seen, although it's not pay-per-views, but we've t- seen two uh, monthly WCW events where Fleur has turned one of his uh, allies into uh, into a face and if he carries on the way that he does then it's just going to be Fleur against the whole WCW but um um but it's um it's it's, it's the long term um aspect that um that worries me more than more than anything and it's great that you've got these two that are not going to be involved in anything in particular that is um is, is, has got the Dungeon of Doom or, or Hogan involved, so uh, they're going on their own accord. Um, but it's um, short-term goals. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but after that, I'm, uh, I'm not buying into it. Nor am I. I'm a buying into uh, Aaron Anderson being being a baby first, which gets me to ask you, Bob. Um, I thought he was, but you'll probably know the answer to this. But is Aaron Anderson not in the stud stable anymore? Um. No, I, um, uh, was he last in the stud stable? Um, yes, he was, but no, he hasn't been for months. It, right. it is, the, is the answer to that. I, I can't even, I remember when, 
you know, when they, uh, no, yeah, I, I can't recall what, what, what the, what the exit strategy was that. They may have just drifted apart. Um, but, but no, his answer in short, he's not. Right. So, I mean, well, that, that, that was the other, other concern as well is if he was still a part of that stable and now he's, now he's a face, he's, how, how does that work? But, um, as I said, I, I as, as you just pointed out as well, I've, I've not seen him in there for, uh, for, for months now, but it didn't seem to be, um, be any big, um, blow off or, or, or exit in there. So that just got me to believe that he was, that he was still in there. But, uh, um, I, I guess the same is true with, with Meng really in the sense that I think if they, they want to take someone off Parker but they don't want to turn them face then they just don't explain it. Um, Manga is now part of the Dungeon of Doom and I just don't think Parker's managing you anymore is the, is the, is the short answer. Yeah. Um, well, true. Yeah, that, Parker's that, got yeah. his own issues at the moment. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's got he's he's, he's knackered. He, he is because he's still running from uh, from Sherry, isn't he? So, uh, um, Anne Anderson and um, and Menga are the least of his worries at the moment. But uh, um, obviously, just to to go back onto this point, um, it's it, it's just the. It's, it's just the long-term aspect of it that I'm, that I'm worried about, and 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 the sheer fact that we've that we've kind of turned Anne Anderson first. I, th- I think if we was if we was looking at um, keeping these two separate to uh, the Dungeon of Doom and, and Hogan, um, I, I wouldn't see anything wrong in in keeping them together and uh, and having them as uh, as heels because uh, they would probably be the biggest heels of um, uh, of WCW, but breaking them up um, just brings them down a level and that's not a knock on, on Fleur or Anderson I just think they're uh, they're a lot stronger uh, a lot stronger together yeah I, I think it's a uh, a kind of wider concern that they seem to be shifting a lot of guys to the babyface side which kind of leads you to think that they're going to make the dungeon of doom bigger and uh, and more significant I, I I don't know how, I don't know why else you do it. I don't know why you'd move Vader across. I, you know, at least with, with Arn, you feel like he could finish a few with Flair and then maybe kind of drop down a level or two and start working with some of the younger guys. Um, but even then, I kind of feel like, well, you know, we'll, we'll segue into a minute into the, their acquisitions. You kind of feel like, well, if they were going to have Anderson work with Benoit and with Malenko, I presume those guys come in as baby faces. They'll certainly, yeah, if they're going to wrestle a style that's even 60% of what they wrestled at ECW, it's going to be very difficult to have those guys play heels um, unless they're really clever about it. I suppose they could just align one of them with, with a heel manager. That's not out of the question. Um, but yeah, it, it's more... This feels like a very short-term move, much in the same way Vader feels like a very short-term move. It's like, okay, we get to the end of this, then what? And, uh, and I don't have a good answer to that. I've known Ric Flair my entire life. Ric Flair is as successful as any man in any sport. Still, there's a hole in his life. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if Flair is using me because I've always been there for him. I tell you what, though, it's deteriorated to the point I can't talk to him. I can't talk to my family. I can't talk to his family. I can't make head nor tails of it one way or the other. Um, I've always been a team player. But when it served my needs, it served everyone's needs. When I achieved what I wanted to get out of the particular situation, it benefited everybody. I am my own man. I've always been my own man. I've done exactly what I wanted to do. It just so happened that usually what I wanted was for the good of all, and everyone can see that. 
The only thing that has caused any rift between Ric Flair and myself has been the fact that he's looked past me, he's looked at me, he's looked through me for an answer, an answer that doesn't exist in me. He looked to me for my help, and I decided then Ric Flair would become himself and himself of old, or he'd lose that match. I wasn't going to help him, period. And as I alluded to before the clip, we will uh, move on to our final discussion topic of the show. Um, Dell, WCW, it looked early in the month like they might have some issues, and we did mention last month about their ideas of acquiring talent, and it, it didn't go anywhere, or it didn't feel like they felt like mm-hmm. they were hitting the rocks on that. Um, but now it feel it looks like Benoit, Malenko, Guerrero, and Sabu. They are two called Scorpio is a name that's been mentioned, but I don't know if that's confirmed yet. Um, the other four all do look set to come in at some point in the next couple of months. Um, I've, I've I've got mixed feelings. I mean, they're, they're guys that you know we, we spoke about. You know, Benoit a couple of months ago as a WWF prospect. And the thought process was, well, Benoit goes in, and if they're, if they're smart enough, he goes in as their third best wrestler. I kind of feel like these guys for coming to WCW, and with the exception of Ric Flair, they come in as the, their, their four best workers, yep. which is exciting. I just don't know whether they're smart enough to get that out of them. I think it's, it's kind of similar to a few other topics that we've spoken about last month in the show, Bob, where it's, whether it's the Vader face turn, whether it's the split of Anderson and Flair and their feud, if it comes down to a question of trust in the talent, then it's a resounding yes, whether it's for Flair, Anderson, Vader, or if it's for, for Benoit, Malenko or Guerrero. Do you trust the talent? Yes. Do you trust WCW invest wisely in them? That's a different question. Um, for me, bringing them in, I think that the easiest way to do it is align the three of them together. They come in as a unit and they start working through WCW, but then if they're a unit, then you would probably imagine that it would be as a, is a bad guy coming in saying, no, we don't believe in what you're doing, we're here as wrestlers, we're here to save this sport. And to us, would... If they came in as a trio, took out Renegade, they'd be the biggest baby faces in the company. Exactly, and I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't know how well, else you would... I suppose, I suppose if Sabu did come in at the well, right time. I suppose, time. yes, throw in, throw in Sabu as the kind of maniac of the stable, as you often see, but... <laughs> 
I mean, the, the trouble with that is, though, I don't trust WCW to do that. And even if they did, you've already got the Dungeon of Doom that's got so much investment in it for a, a WCW point of view. They're not going to let young guys do that, especially young guys that could outdraw, outperform, out anything, the, the guys that's in the main event. I mean, on the other side, if you kind of bring them in as these singles guys, I mean, we've... We've spoke about it for months about this card that WCW puts out on a monthly basis, and it's like, well, you've got Alex right there, young babyface, throw him in against a, a Guerrero or a Benoit or a Malenko or even a Sabu, and it's like, that's a good match. Then you've got Pillman, you've got Regal, you've got Austin seems to be up in the air at the minute with this injury that he's got, but you've got young guys in there, but WCW don't, don't have a record of doing that. I mean, Sting is not, in the same kind of age bracket as these guys were talking about coming in. I mean, Sabu maybe aside, but your young Guerreros and Benoit's and Malenko's, if they can't, if they can't manage Sting into a reputable position in a card, what chance have you got with three pretty much unknowns coming in? I mean, they're, they're not nationally known. I mean, regionally, depending on where you're coming from, if you're for, if you're watching in El Paso or if you're watching in Philadelphia, you're going to know these guys, but to a national audience, especially in centre stage, they're, they're not going to know who these guys are. I mean, they, they might get into matches and they might kind of just like seeing a fresh face about the place, but WCW aren't going to book these these guys in any reputable position, as far as I'm concerned, because I just don't trust them as a company to do it, because it's all about Hogan. It's all about the Dungeon of Doom. To a lesser extent, it's about Vader and Flair and Anderson and these kind of guys, but it's like... I mean, last year we with a headline at Starcade that featured what was it called at the point was it the butcher or the baker? Yeah, he was butcher at that time. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where they see their their money. Which, to be fair, I mean, Hogan is one hell of an investment. So I mean, you would be protecting that as much as you can. But I, I just I think it as I said just comes down to trust. Do I trust Vader to be a good babyface? Yeah. Do I trust WCW to book him as one? No. I trust these guys to come in and work their, their backsides off as we've seen in countless months in, in, WC, in ECW sorry, this, this year has been all about the young blood, where it's these guys putting on matches, where it's like they come into a, they come into a region and like people, maybe kind of Philly crowds would know them or kind of read about them in the talks or the observer, but actually seeing them week by week, and it's like, it's amazing work, I mean how many, how many matches have at least one and or two or three of these guys been in match of the year? And Sabu is unlike anything else that you really see in the, see in the country or even farther afield. I mean, apart from maybe like a Cactus Jack, he's, he's pretty unique as, his moves go, Sabu. And I mean, he's, I, I think any one of these can just slot right into a, a US or a TV title spot, but I just, I just don't trust WCW basically, Bob. Yeah, I mean, the the sort of saving grace, and it may not be, but the one thing we know about Eric Bischoff is that Eric Bischoff does not watch ECW. Uh, we found out that story, I think, in December, where um, Bischoff first saw, um, watched Sabu in Japan. Sabu in Japan. Wow, Japan he's I, excellent. Yeah. And, and we were like, well, yeah, we've known this for months. And, you know, that was the kind of giveaway that Bischoff just didn't watch ECW. Um, and I, I imagine he, I, I, I cannot imagine that situation has changed. 
Um, but there is a thought process now that says that with Kevin Sullivan as sort of head booker, um, Kevin Sullivan knows firsthand how good Sabu is. I don't think Kevin Sullivan's been back in ECW since the other three got there. I can guarantee mm. that with Guerrero. Um, but his wife, Nancy Sullivan, aka woman, the manager of Sandman, the current uh, ECW champion, um, is in the promotion as an active member. They, as the, he will know how good these four are. In fact, dare I say, I think anyone with any smarts will know how good these four are. You don't need to look at them; you just need to look at their record or speak to guys that that know them. Um, but the question is, is just whether. Um, you know, because I remember Del. Oh, sorry, I'll come to you in a minute. But I remember Del. We were, we were looking at this when we were talking about Benoit in WWF, and the first thought was, "What well, he going? He had great matches with him, him, and him." Yeah. And and the concern is, is that I don't, I, knowing WCW's hierarchy, I'm not thinking great. We're going to get Eddie Guerrero and Ric Flair because I know we're not going to get Eddie Guerrero and Ric Flair. Right. And that's the real shame in the sense that. You kind of feel like if they, you know, if you want to watch a way that you could build Chris Benoit as a as a viable threat, watch how Paul Heyman did it mid ninety four. Uh, sorry, late ninety four, probably September October. Uh, after Benoit came into ECW, didn't really have any characters to speak of. Didn't ever do any talking. This was before they really developed the Crippler thing. And Heyman was getting him ready for Sabu. And Heyman just basically talked him up and just said, "Look, Sabu doesn't fear anyone, but he does fear Chris Benoit." And, you know, it might be his last match, but he's going to put it all on the line, all that. I hope we put that promo in. And it's like, that's all you've got to do. But Mars, you know, strength in short is his in-ring performance. Um, but I just, you know, I, I I don't think, you know, I mean, Christ, can you imagine Sabu and Hulk Hogan? I can't. And, and I don't <laughs> have to because I know it's not going to happen. Um, but Del, the real shame here is that they've identified great talent, but you almost can guarantee they're going to misuse them. Pretty much, and I mean, I think the the ideal scenario for me would be Bobby Heenan comes off the desk, fed up with us Hogan stuff, fed up with us, fed up with that. I've got some new blood in him. We've got a new Heenan family, but as you say, it's not going to happen. And it's like, where do we realistically see these guys in a year's time? They sign oh, tomorrow they're, they're, with WCW. They're on three on, contracts, so you know. Yeah. So I mean, what's to Exactly, was to say we're going to get two, three months and ah, uh, thanks for your, thanks for your endeavours, but we're not quite looking for your style at the minute. And then the next thing you know, we've got Malenko and Guerrero just killing it in New Japan, or we've got Benoit going over the, going over the old Japan, or didn't, uh, didn't AAA again. And I mean, that's the last we see them. It's just we've already had this situation even just as recently in the last couple of months with. With a wonder punk, and it's the flares hot on this guy, brilliant match with Pillman, month in the line, he's not got any entrance music, and he's going up against, kind of, far less, far less impressive, kind of people. I mean, this month we're seeing him against Page that's, what, 40 odd at this point, I mean, he looks about 50 odd, but I think he's in his 40s, and it's like, we don't, they can't handle, the guys like Alex Wright, that's really like a poster boy for a company, he's a good looking kid, kind of pretty straight edge you're going to be seeing like Chris Benoit coming in here who has got a face like a mugshot and it's like if they can't invest in a white meat baby face like Alex Wright then what chance have you got of coming in and no talking like Dean Malenko or coming in looking like Benoit 
or coming in like the kind of cheeky chappy Eddie Guerrero and it's just I don't know where we where we see them I'm, I'm so so happy to be hopefully seeing them in a national stage you're going to be getting as we said in the news WCW is talking up monthly pay-per-views the same lines as the Fed we've got this Monday Nitro that's going to be starting next month week to week live TV month to month live pay-per-views there's, there's spots on a card for these guys and maybe not to the same extent as Benoit and his WWF tryout where we're we're pinning them up against Sean and Brett and Owen and Razor, but you've still got a Regal, you've still got a Pillman, you've still got a Wright, maybe further up the card you've got a Flair, you've got an Anderson, they can put on brilliant matches, but it's just, are WCW going to see what me and you see, or are WCW still just going to have one and a half eyes on the Dungeon of Doom and Hulk Hogan, and then it's just, oh, they're that new guy, and I put him on first, put him in a dark match, only, only time will tell. Why? Um, yeah, we're with me on this one, and, and don't worry about where it's going. But um, I think me and Dell have shared that many uh, of the same views tonight. That if I had a look at what he was wearing, it'd probably be the same as what I'm wearing. I just stole your notes, mate. Don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> I thought so. Um, no, I mean, same again. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited about these guys coming in, but at the same time, I'm, I'm very pessimistic about it. It's um, you know, if, if, if built right, then I, I said at the top of the, sh- uh, the show, just before we got into the, uh, um, clash review, that, um, it was dire because, you know, there's a, there's a real need of a, of, of a shot in the arm, um, a new direction, fresh blood, um, um, a, you know, fresh look on things. And, uh, you know, if, if built right, then, um, then, you know, th- these guys could, uh, um, could, could, you know, do exactly what's what's needed for them. Um, my big concern, though, um, is that it is a big if, if built right. Um, all you need to do is just look at Alex Wright, Brian Pillman, Steve Austin. Um, there's probably uh, many more names that I've um, that I've not mentioned. Dustin well. Rhodes, yeah. No, none of none of those names in ring. Uh, re- maybe Pillman. But really, like none of those in-ring guys are as good as these four, though. Yeah, all right. I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be swayed on 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 that view. Um, but from uh, what I've seen, I've only seen five Eddie Guerrero matches, but yeah. they've all been phenomenal. I think I, th- I think my argument is um, not the uh, the in-ring uh, capabilities of these guys. Um, I think it's more of a fact that it's. Um, Fresh blood coming in and um, a, a new direction for, uh, for for WCW. They could have done that with Alex Wright. They was doing that with Alex Wright before the booking got taken away from uh, from Fleur. Um, they could have done that with uh, with Brian Pillman and and Steve Austin, and then you know they just put them together and and they were making something of it themselves, and then and then they broke them up. And it just seems like guys get so far, and then it gets um, it's like the, the the carpet gets pulled from from underneath them, but. With, with Nitro coming in now, um, it needs to be different. Um, as I said before, you need fresh talent. Um, you, you need a bigger pool of guys to, uh, to, to make the show work. And um, bringing these guys in will, will really help with that. But um, as, as, as Dell said, and, and, and you probably shared the, uh, um, the thoughts as well, Bob, is that um, these guys will get so far and, and that'll be it. Um, one of the things that you um, that, that, that you mentioned before is, uh, is is about Sabu, and 
looking at it, um, rather than putting them together, I could probably see Sabu join the Dungeon of Doom. Is 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 a bit different, and that's oh, win are. win. I <laughs> I think you know just at, at a character aspect, you know, I don't I, I don't want to ruin the guy, and you know, I know he's he's, he's got obvious talents that far exceed what's what's in that. Um, but I, I could probably see him in there as as I could pro I could see them put um, I could see um, the the booking team put him in there. Um, is because but for, of his... for what it's worth, my understanding is that Sabu is in on a a different kind of deal to the other three. I think he's coming in to do a few. He's not even VR portal, is he? Because that's going to be a bad scene. <laughs> well, I mean, equally, you know, I guess we'll, you know, if if uh, if that if the portal's making the giant look taller, it might make Sabu look even smaller. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, my understanding is is that Sabu's in on kind of he's in to do a couple of nitros and a pay-per-view, and I think that's it for now. So I, I think we can, you know, breathe a sigh of relief in the short term that I don't get the sense he's going to be around long enough where they want to put him in the Dungeon of Doom. Um, but I guess we'll see. Um, Del, uh, a quick thing just to kind of, before we wrap up, is um, a way he did kind of allude to it is just, in ECW, I think Benoit's probably the best example of this, but, you know, to, they are all to a point. Um, Benoit came in and, you know, as a great worker that couldn't really talk, but there was the there was the desire by Paul Heyman to hide Benoit's weaknesses and to work on his promo ability, amongst other things. Do you get the feeling that if if they're working with the wrong guys, if Benoit gets put in a situation where he's working with an agent that says Benoit's you know for on Saturday night Benoit squash Benoit promo, do you get the feeling that they might hear Benoit talk and go, well, this guy's not very good? Um, and the wider question being, you know, and one thing brought up about Sabu was, you know, how much control Sabu generally likes over his character. How forgiving do you think WCW are going to be in the sense that, do you think they're going to look at their weaknesses and rather like an ECW perhaps go, okay, Malenko can't talk, let's give him a gimmick where he's silent. You know, Benoit can't talk, but let's give him a gimmick where we'll give him certain very small, you know, promos and we'll build him up another way. Do you think WCW are going to be clever enough to do that or are they just going to kind of go, well, you know what? We let other guys sink and swim. I'm going to let you do that because I don't know that Sabu's character can work outside of the ECW audience unless you explain it and give it enough time. I think the easiest way I can sum that up is I think it's more likely that they've just gone to announce coming to the ring. Weighing 236 pounds, the mime artist, Dean Malenko, and he's gonna be out with face paint and white gloves. I uh, that, that's, that, that's Zodiac. Well, true, that's, that's an Ed Leslie gimmick name, but, um, I don't, I mean, I just can't get away for the, I think it's the Dungeon of Doom that's just clouding me. I mean, you, you just get these images now, the saboteur, and that Sabu with a big Arabian sword, and just, I don't know. I, I just don't trust WCW to give them that kind of, almost kind of comfort that you would get in an ECW, for it is regionalised, it is a territory, it's not a national TV, and you can kind of get under the radar, and you've got that almost like a man-to-man headcount there, where you've got Paulie who just going with how he looks on TV every week, I don't think the man sleeps. 
I think he just works round the clock. His head is constantly buzzing with ECW, and I think he's got so many ideas. We've seen it back in the day with, with the Dangerous Alliance when he kind of carved that in his own thing. He wanted to bring in his own guys, and he, he, he kind of gets stifled in WCW when he's went to Philly. He can go backstage and he can see Benoit kind of slumped over after a, an hour-long match, and you just know Paulie would give him another hour. Just talking to him about having they done brilliant and how how he sees this vision and I mean it's almost like a an ECW is kind of like a little see like a little restaurant chain where you're kind of training up the young guy to kind of do all this cooking and use all these skills and passing down family recipes but the, the next thing you know they're turning into a Mitchell and Star Chef but then coming to WCW. It's kind of like working for McDonald's, and it's like, nah, you never cook the you never cook the fries, right? You're fired, and it's like that's what my worry is for these guys coming in. For it's they're not going to get that that TLC that that attention that they would get from a from a Paul Heyman to a lesser extent, a a Todd Gordon or an Eddie an Eddie Gilbert when he was there. You're not going to get that kind of. This is for the young guys. I mean, WCW as we've seen for the last year now. How many? How many honky tonks have we seen? How many butchers have we seen? How many kind of earthquakes, avalanches, or sharks have we seen? And it's always like, it's almost like this, ah, this is for the boys. You, you guys just play about in the playground and we'll, we'll see you at, we'll see you at 3pm. And it's like, I just, I want them to do so, so well, but I just worry that they've maybe not had enough time under that, that tree with Paul E to be able to attack the big bad world. I would like to think, especially after the ending that will come on in part three with ECW, when we see that ending between Malenko and Guerrero, when it's they have that big match, they have the big moment at the end where the fans are just throwing adoration at them. I would like to think they've went backstage, they've showered up, they've packed up their gear, and they've just sat down with Paul Heyman saying, you're going to WCW, I've been there, this is how it works, talking to them about the politics, talking about the the way to kind of get ahead and how to keep under the radar and do the right things and I'd like to think they've had that chat and I'd like to think that that's going to set them well in their way, but is it going to be enough just getting into the political minefield of WCW? I don't know. And that will end this month's show. Big thank you first to Wayne Lithgow. Thanks very much, Bob. Uh, Wayne, you're on Twitter? I am. Wayne L84. Excellent. Uh, I, I promised Wayne a, uh, a, a spot on next month's show as a, uh, a response for all his hard work trudging through WCW this year, so Wayne can at least uh, review the first Nitro next month. And Delmuir? Thanks as always, Bob. Well, you, uh, you, my, my voice has just about survived, so you, uh, you weren't required, but, uh, That's just because I talk so much nonsense, just trying, can I do well, my, true. do my boy yeah, a favour? I, I, I battled through. Uh, Del, you're on Twitter? Yep, Twitter, Del underscore Muir. Excellent. Uh, I have been Bob Bamber. My voice is uh, hanging in there. We'll see. Uh, it's weird. Like, you're, if you listen to the shows in order, hopefully my voice will be better in eight days' time when we take WWF part. So we find there, croaky here, sore throat in the um, Japan bit of part three, and then you get to part four, which will take three weeks ago, and it's fine. So it'll be, be weird to listen to chronologically. Um, but, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. Uh, go on our website, Wrestling20YRS.com. I've been a bit lapsed on the blog front in the last month 
six weeks, but I'm getting back into that now. Hopefully by the time this, this, there's a, a few things up here. One thing I've got written that I haven't uploaded yet is a, uh, a retrospective look at what we've really been discussing, which is the, uh, the arrival of Benoit Guerrero Malenko into, uh, WCW and looking at the, uh, the WC, the WWE revisionist history that the, uh, the WCW, it was a talent raid and just looking at the, uh, the idea behind that. Uh, a few other blogs out there as well. Dale should have his um, July and August uh, power rankings up by the time the show goes live as well. Uh, and a few other things too. We have a, also, if you do like the uh, the Collision and Career Show in Part 4, we recorded that three weeks ago, so you might get to that in a bit. But I have since done a written version of that, so that's in there if you want to get a written idea of what happened there too. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. Uh, find us on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. Uh, RSS feed is all on the website. Uh, email newsletter, I didn't say one in July, but we'll get one in August out uh, soon. And that'll be that. So, uh, you've got Volume 1, you've got SummerSlam, uh, which you've probably already heard. Volume 3 is either WA Japan King of the Death match final. That's an amazing match. Um, seek that out. Seek the show out too. Second half of Volume Three is Dell and uh, Kieran and Tom to go through ECW, and Volume Four is me, Stuart, and Chris White. We are looking at the New Japan Collision Career Show. My voice is just about to go, so that's a good time. So only I bid Bob Bamba. This has been Volume Two of the August 1995 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>